Hi there, and welcome, welcome to an episode of to, <laughs> to another episode of As an Artist, a local famous records podcast about local artists, their art, the creative process, and the local scene. My name is Anthony Sosa, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, on this episode, we have Jack Bellamy of Black Market Garden. Uh, and Jack, man, I had, uh, I had a fantastic conversation with Jack. We had a lot of fun, uh, and we got pretty deep, actually, kind of towards the end of the podcast on certain topics. Uh, we discussed some issues regarding the creative spaces here in Fort Worth, uh, perhaps dwindling creative spaces here in our Fort Worth community. Um, but we also, of course kind of do a deep dive into Jack's artistic and musical trajectory and the evolution of what has become Black Market Garden. Uh, we also get to a little bit of labor talk and uh, why these ideas are important to the creation of art. Um, we had some, some really fun stuff to talk about. And at the end of the podcast, we get to hear a wonderful song from Black Market Garden's EP, Fun Songs called fly on the wall fly on the wall i don't know why it makes me want to do that but it makes me want to do that we want to say it just like that um i want to give you a heads up like at the beginning of this podcast we just go right we just jump right into it i hit record and like jack immediately started started getting into this wonderful conversation so i'm gonna leave some of that uh really genteel stuff at the beginning i think it's very endearing uh so enjoy this conversation with jack bellamy <laughs> and I just I'll edit later. I'm just kind of like like to let it run and like change anything. Everything I I lay my eyes on in your house is so beautiful. Um, the KRKs are an absolute choice. <laughs> um, Appreciate it, man. But I, Dale, my buddy Dale, that talk you talked to on the phone. Yeah, he gave me those. That one was damaged, and so he's like, I can't sell them. So you want them? <sighs> okay, yeah. Sweet man. Oh, yeah, he was a sweet man. But hell yeah, dude. Getting into what made me want to do music is a lot of things, right? Um, I guess from the youth, from the very, very, very young days, I was nonstop singing um, in the car. My favorite band, I think, was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's a hell good yeah. favorite for a little kid. If you want to put headphones on, you can. You don't have to if you don't want to. I need more trombone in the monitors. <laughs> Turn the trombone up until the band fires me. What was it about? Like, was there like a certain Earth, Wind, and Fire song that you? All of them. Oh. They don't miss. They one hundred percent do not miss. That's true. Um, but really, I think it was the the rhythmic complexity. Okay. okay. Um, and of course, you know, if if you know anything about them, they they've got. Um, Great melodies and, and chord stacking, too. But I've, when you get right down to it, they have so many people in that band all bobbing and weaving like yeah. a multicellular organism. And it, I think that really spoke to me. How, about how old were you, do you think, when you became like kind of aware or conscious of? Maybe three or four. Wow. I was pretty young. Um, and I was very rambunctious. So one of the ways... My folks would handle that was 
I was if I was acting up and causing a scene, they'd say, "Okay, it's time for the Jack Show." Well, now I have to be an entertainer. I wasn't ready for it. Mm. Um, Were you the oldest in your family? Or I was. Yeah. I wanted a little brother so bad, and eight years later, nice Franklin Maxwell came to rock the world, <laughs> and he he is really just. Um, evil genius extraordinaire i could not hand hold a candle to the sort of things he's gonna do um in the world of quantum computing (laughs) (laughs) oh wow he's he's brilliant and uh i can't believe he wants to play keyboards with my little rock band it's just such a privilege oh hell yeah dude so okay was that is this all this starting off is that here in the dfw area or were you born and raised in fort worth all right awesome that's right (laughs) yeah it's a great place to be from yeah dude what side of town you don't mind me asking that's fine you can go ahead and ask um we actually well i, I don't want to let me rephrase how i'm going to say this because i was about to dox you no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no that's fine i i, I mean I, I don't no address right but like I'm sure on the I west mean, side yeah 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 I, I grew up not too far not too far away from here i i grew up real little and then for most of my childhood i lived off of um I-20 and Trail Lake. Okay, yeah. In a neighborhood called Wedgwood. Yeah. We call it the wacky world of Wedgwood because every street starts with W. <laughs> My mom grew up in the, in Wedgwood uh, and so went to Southwest in, in the 50s. And so when I was little, we were we were on the south side over off Barry Street in like Hemphill area, Barry and yeah, over there. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. same, like kind of south side, south side Fort Worth. Right, yeah, That that's definitely the stomping grounds. Um but yeah, I'm telling you, this Wedgwood thing with the W's is intentionally disorienting. You've got Wonder, Walton, Wedgemont, uh, Woodway, uh, <laughs> Woodway, let me think, Worrell. Um, the, the list goes on. Winifred? Winifred, yes. Thank you for remembering. Um, Wilkie yeah. Way. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. There is yeah. a Wilkie, and there's a Wimbledon. Um, yeah. I digress. That's good stuff. It's changing. It's changed a lot, right? Like, yeah. Over the town. Yeah, I think there's a lot of... Um, good diversity that's come in and um i agree like you you can find just about anything you need in those little shopping centers yeah, over man. there off a of trail lake and uh woodway yep they got the inlay market they got the mid-east market um got me a real nice rice cooker if you don't have one of those oh, 10 out of 10 get a good one you'll never worry about rice again what's that there's that vegan bakery that's over there too Oh, uh, my girlfriend's gonna be mad at me. <laughs> well, uh, uh, it, well, I'll put it in the show notes or something. We'll go come back. I know who they are. Um, we will definitely yeah. come back later it's and, and give good. them a shout. Place is good though. But okay, sorry, sorry to, to kind of wind us down these windy roads. Um, to that. Uh, but okay, back to the music. So, when did you start playing an instrument? I didn't start playing an instrument seriously until about seventh grade. Okay. And um, it was just uh, the sort of thing where, you know, that's the sort of the age where you start getting interested in, I mean, maybe not the opposite sex, but you know, sure. Uh, you know, physical people. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to put it. And uh, as a result, every boy in my grade at the Catholic school I was going to mm. started a band. And when I say that, they started one band all together without me. <laughs> oh, no. Without me and one other guy named 
Henry Butts. Shout out, Henry, if you're listening. Shout I'm, I'm going to send it to you. You better be listening. <laughs> Hell yeah. But, um, yeah, we weren't, we weren't going to take it. Um, the, the reason for me not being able to get in is because I only have an acoustic guitar, and when you've got a band with 30 people in it, yeah. you won't be able to hear yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's not. Plus, they already had a drummer, so that was Henry's luck. Um, so he plays drums too. He he's the drummer, yes. So so um, yeah, we bonded over kind of being outcast dorks, and we we kind of had the same indie rock uh, interests. Okay, what 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 uh, list a couple of bands. What what time is this? What time period is this too? Uh, well, I guess if I'm in seventh grade, I'm probably thirteen years old. Uh, I guess this is like 2008, okay. 2007, 2008. Okay. Uh, and at that time, Cage the Elephant was blowing up. I mm. uh, think No Rest for the Wicked had just been like uh, put on the Borderlands oh, ad campaign. Nice. That was a really good ad campaign. Hell yeah. Uh, the White Stripes obviously were okay. huge because yeah. we were just a guitar player and a drummer at the time. And um, what I guess so. Let's let's jump into that one for a second. What was it about the White Stripes? Do you remember the first one that first song that you heard by by Jack and the Meg or Every, everybody uh, has heard Seven Nation Army yeah. first, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, I I dug it a lot. I I got more into his other music working with slide guitar. Okay, that yeah. was something I would I re, I don't do that anymore at all. But when I was just getting started, slide was everything because you don't have to actually have any finger skills to play slide <laughs> guitar. This is true. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, you do have to have skills to like. There are some masters. Check out Dwayne Allman. Oh yeah, of course. Um, yeah, absolutely. But it's a different technique, right? Like it's, it's a like, completely different technique, and it's a lot of fun if you're just getting started on guitar. You can just let it rip, and uh, there, there's really a whole lot of freedom in the simplicity of the open tuning. Glass slide or steel slide? <sighs> that depends, right? <laughs> Good I, answer. That's I answer. would say if you're cutting a record... <laughs> Go for the glass slide. I do think it sounds um, a little bit more wholesome, a little bit less um, harsh on the treble end, I suppose. Yeah. But, you know, maybe that's something you're after. Sure. That's where a good metal slide would really be handy. And I probably would, if you're going to go on tour or play a series of gigs, the metal slide's going to be more reliable. True. A thousand percent of the time. True. Good point. So, okay, so your first group was with... My first group was with Henry Butts. What were y'all called? Well, we have to name the other members. Okay, let's do it. Because we, we did scoop one other really awesome musician along the way, and he's still um, rocking in the scene. His name is, uh, I guess, he goes by Louis Saturn is his stage name now. He plays with Cherry Mantis. Okay, badass. Um, but yeah, he was living across the street from Henry... And I lived like a block and a half away from both of them. Oh, so nice. so we all kind of got together and decided to become the Stoplight Monkeys. Oh, that's a great that's a great name. Yeah. My my little brother came up with that one. I was gonna ask, like, yeah. was there a workshop here that where you because that's like that just sounds like something that came naturally. What what how did your little brother who just No idea? 
No idea. The kids from another planet. Oh, that's awesome. It is well and truly. How would you define what what did you guys sound like, or what were y'all trying? I know that's a bad question to ask a musician. What were y'all trying to sound like? I guess. Uh, I guess uh, Seattle post punk. Oh, okay. Not oh. not not Nirvana. Yeah. Nirvana was not yeah. something we were going for, but um, Slater Kenny. Oh, damn. We were huge into Slater Kinney. Nice. Um, and we didn't have a bass player, so that was kind of a thing. We had to look for role models, and they, they pardon my French, they absolutely rip with no bass. And uh, I never even thought about that. Yeah, like, you just have to think think about your tuning a little differently. And I, I do still think some of those songs would be pretty cool with a little bass, but <laughs> sure, sure. But no, but you're right. I mean, you know, what is this? You know, limitation breeds creativity. Sure. Like, and okay. if a song doesn't work that, if it doesn't work in its most stripped down form, it probably won't do anything for you dressed up. I like it. Yeah. You know? I kind of agree with that too. So were y'all playing shows? Were you just, mm. just doing studio recording stuff? Demos? We were, or? we were trying to record. I mean, we were so young. We were really like rehearsing in the living room. At the yeah. parents' place, yeah, and eventually they got tired of that, so we moved everything to the front yard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, mostly, I think the focus was just on writing our own songs and and being sharp enough to play a set. Yeah. Um, which how long was that? Like, how many songs did you think y'all put together over the years? Um. Well. The, the the band did change names mm-hmm. a couple of times. Um, going from Stoplight Monkeys to Cheesel Beef, I think we... <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the second band name iteration was Cheesel Beef. Uh, but we probably had at least seven or eight songs. Uh, we were oh, close. Yeah. What necessitated the name change? Was there a sound change? Did you like dabble in certain things and then change into something else, or was it just hey? I think I think somebody just said cheesel beef, and they were like, <laughs> "Oh God, we signed on to Stoplight Monkeys too soon." <laughs> cheesel beef is so good. It is good. So was this early high school, middle high school? Right. Yeah, I think the cheesel beef change happened uh, the summer between eighth and freshman year. Okay. That's cool, man. That's early. That's early, especially now. Like as I teach young people now, like bands. When I started there, there were no bands at the school. Like you had the people in like the jazz band for the school or the mariachi mm-hmm. band, but like there were no students that were independently starting their own groups. And only now am I starting to see a little bit of that. But I think that's something like of kind of our younger generation is like people were more proactive in doing that. Were there other bands at your school? I mean, you said that the big one that started earlier, but by the yeah, time as as, older, as luck would or not as luck as as it would seem to be, uh, if you have a band with thirty one middle school aged boys in it, <laughs> some of them are going to skip practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they never really none of them actually wound up pursuing uh, music. Uh, which is kind of a shame. They were really just using it to get me started, I reckon. <laughs> there you go. Get some motivation. Um, so I guess when did you start playing shows? Was it this band or was it later on? Cheesel Beef would continue to operate throughout high school when, when I was going to Southwest in Fort Worth. Um, 
And the really cool thing about Southwest High School, if you didn't already know, is that they have the Contemporary um, Academy of Music. I did not know that. Yes. Nice. Marco Petrilli is a fabulous instructor, and he has a program where he teaches um, students at any grade level how to write their own songs, how to record their own songs, how to produce their own songs, and how to play live. That's fantastic. Yes, it's amazing. I've heard students talk about this, but I didn't know it was a was a program as, as you're putting it. I didn't realize it was that, I guess, uh, organized. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's curriculum. Um, it's fantastic. And I would skip every other class to just hang out there all day. <laughs> of course, damn, that's so cool. So you got, how, was he mentoring you all four years? Like kind of just showing you like what? what I never left his class. Did he, did he teach you all how to use DAWs? Like what was one that he used for? Right. Uh, th- well, I, I, th- I think he was using Sony Acid when we mm. first got mm. started. But then uh, towards the end of senior year, uh, we were really fortunate to get some bond money for the program, yeah. and he upgraded to Pro Tools. Hell yeah. So that's like industry standard. Kids are going to be able to go out into the world and work with anybody, anywhere, just about. That's so cool. So did what was your first... Did Were you doing independent mm-hmm. stuff at this time with the band? Were you still creating your own stuff, or was everything that you were creating kind of for the band, through the band? Was there ever this division between, I guess, your creative stuff? Like, was it all dedicated in one direction, or...? I um almost well not even almost I never write music that isn't for the band. Mm. I have never written a Jack Bellamy song okay. just for myself, which maybe could be fun. I should open up that sphere of influence. Yeah, it's different. As some, so I share the opinion. I'm, I'm this is what I'm hearing from you. Collaborations fun. It's uh, essential. Absolutely. Like it's. And to me, that's the joy of the music making process. Like the music and the art is is its thing, but like who you're doing it with, right? Like the relationships between you and the other bandmates and members and like what you're doing. I think that stuff is almost even more important. And that when when that is a good thing and when that's a good fit, then the music just kind of comes out of it. And that's like the experience, the interactions with your buddies um, that like creates this beautiful thing. And that's how I've been in my musical career for 20 or so years until I started Temporal Distortions, which was ended up just being my own little thing. And it was insightful. I learned some stuff, but it, it provided freedom that I never really felt like that I had before because I was always kind of playing to my guys, you know, and like trying to please them, trying to kind of play to their ears in a certain way. Sure. Um, so, yeah, like I would love to know and see what happens in the future if you provide yourself that little bit of freedom to kind of see what happens uninhibited Jack Bellamy, you know? Um, that's just something that I'm thinking here. You hear you talk about that. Well, I guess I have been getting into that a little bit with the the new little home studio my roommate set up. Awesome. We we that's Lucille. Everybody say hi to Lucille. Sorry. Hello, Lucille. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay. She's gotta let us know who's boss around here. She that she thinks she is. <laughs> yeah. Um Sorry about that. It's okay. I forgot the question or where we were. Um, likewise, uh, we were talking about. Oh yeah, making stuff in the home studio. Yes, that there is, we go. It's not really Jack Bellamy again. This kind of exists in a weird musical liminal space. I I would just make it public domain. Yeah. Um, okay. But I've been yeah getting into making some stinky boss fight music. Oh, um, hell, so electronic. Or... Right. Yeah. Using uh using a little um synthesizer. 
and there is some guitar on it as well. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, mostly rhythm loops and and cheesy sounds. That sounds fun. So okay, I guess that's bridge the gap. When you started kind of getting out after high school and where was the first show? Or maybe during high school. Where's the first show that you played here in the DFW area? Our first uh, official booked gig yeah. was at a place called Shipping and Receiving. Oh, yeah. Uh, rest in pizza. We love you, Shipping and Receiving. They were always the best to work with um, as a young band trying to find a place to get started. Yeah. Like um, 10 out of 10. Love those guys. And. Uh, I'm proud to say it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what, what was that experience like? Was getting in front of people? Did you like it? Was it enjoyable? Or was it? We were like, used to it. We yeah. were used to it because we did cut our teeth doing open mics. Okay. Which I didn't think qualified, but uh, when we were doing that, it was all at the grotto. Oh man, which is yeah. another great spot. But <laughs> as is, yeah. as a young band, maybe um, it was a little tougher to get into just for booking. Yeah. Certainly, because it was a, it was a well. Everyone wanted to play at the Grotto. That place was uh, that place was the best. For it was sure. the tits. It was one hundred percent low ceilings, very tight. But you could fit a decent amount of people there. It like, was intimate. You know, it, it was, was intimate. intimate. That's a good way what to put I would it. Say. And like, so let's talk about the the open mic thing. Like, that's I think that's an interesting, uh, you know, uh, entry point into the music scene. It's not one that a lot of people take, but I, I it's one that I'm interested in. Like, what what did you find? At open mic nights, what is this Monday Monday nights or Tuesday nights at the Grotto? I, I think it was yeah, I think it was like Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Was that it, Ben doing it? Was uh, ben hosting no, it nights? was okay. Blake Blake Barker. Okay, um, it was called the Forever Jamboree. I don't know if ba- Blake was hosting it or if he was just running the sound. I guess maybe that's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, the Grotto is definitely like a. It could be a, a single. I just know, feel like maybe there's somebody D. else who's missing a shout out. Joe Savage, the name comes to mind. No idea. No, it's all it's all good. That was a while ago, <laughs> hazy times. But like, what was the uh, the people you were playing with? Did you make friends? You know, and meet other people uh, that you're still close within the scene doing the open mic stuff. We made a lot of friends. Um, and of course, you know, being as young as we were, they were all. Um, really well ahead of us just as far as um like knowing what to expect from an open mic yeah <laughs> and um yeah i i think some of the first friends we made would have been fernando page who is still making music um he's always making music and always with different groups so forgive me fernando i forgot what the current name of your your project is it's all good and then uh rick smith uh he was w- is a guitar player and singer for or i guess i don't even know if the band is still around i feel bad gotcha. you asked me if i was no, close okay. with these people and i'm really not yeah no i mean things <laughs> but they, change right they, yeah. they made a huge impression and like they were very uh good role models i i, I respect the, awesome. the mess out of them no, like, and I, I I, don't think I've ever actually come out on the air and said this, but I'm going to say it right now. I want to want to let you know that, like, my intention with this podcast is really like a historical documentation to a certain extent. I want to talk to people about the past, whether or not we remember it clearly or not, right? But, like, let's talk about the people who impacted us. Sure, you know, yeah. Who influenced us. 
Um, so there's a record of it. And so like, that's, that's exactly what you're doing. So, I mean, it's okay if we can't remember every single band, you know, someone listening will, (laughs) and if you know, like, let us know. I mean, uh, yeah, we, we should also obviously mention, um, a few others, kites and boomerangs. Uh, you've got Josh. I can't remember his last name. He used to go by dirt McGirt. So we're just going to call him dirt today. (laughs) And then Owen Donovan. And then there's a couple of other cool cats from Kites and Boomerangs. I should know. I remember them. Uh, Denver Williams. Oh, yeah. From Chilamundo and, and Chingalotus and many other great bands currently playing with the gas money. We, we bonded with him. I think we might have done our second ever show with him. That's awesome. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. So what was Fort Worth kind of the only area you were doing stuff? I guess what was your interpretation of of the scene at that time. And obviously the people that you just mentioned, but like, what was, what was your take on it? Like, what did you think of it? We were, um, dying to play anywhere all the time. Um, which is good. We learned a lot, uh, about how to present yourself and how to do business as young musicians. Um, like a lot of, a lot of great experiences, um, which is why we're still doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what's but, something that jumps out to you as like a lesson learned? Like, oh, we don't do pre-sales. Okay, <laughs> yeah, we will never, ever, ever do pre-sales. Okay, is there, um, is there why? Is there a story behind it? I agree with you. Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, we've we've had to pay to play before, and uh, nobody should ever have to do that. You're, you're working to try and liven the place up a little bit and maybe put a little bit of money in your own pocket. Musicians yeah. aren't, we aren't made of much, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, like we, we probably didn't have to pay to play, but we were made to feel like we had to, because yeah. if we don't sell, at least this number of tickets, we won't be able to tell people what time we're on mm. until the night of the show. And then everybody who did buy a ticket probably won't be able to see us. Yeah. Um, and there, there's places like that. I hate to say that they're in Fort Worth and they're still yeah. around doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, but we can name drop. I mean, that's okay. If, if, if you want. Sure. Uh, I mean, uh, Ridgely doesn't want to accept responsibility for the way booking is handled there because it's usually done by third parties. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's not an excuse. Um, It is a reason. Yeah. I hope things will change there because it's such a great legacy for Fort Worth. Um, And I guess, you know, so Ridgely Theater, I've also heard the same thing about the Ridgely Room. They well, I mean, um, they have the Ridgely same. Theater, Ridgely yeah. Room, and the Ridgely Lounge. Lounge. Yeah, and you can't get to the lounge without feeling like you're in an employees-only hallway. <laughs> so here's my yeah. question: yeah. Nobody asked you guys to open three music venues where only one would be, mm-hmm. and cannibalize your own business uh, at artists' expense. Yeah, like no, we don't need that. You can plus you make money hand over fist from having a church there. Mm-hmm. You. Mm-hmm. Don't need to be putting the squeeze on people like that. Um, but they're not the only ones. Yeah. I think the rail does it too. 
I've never yeah. worked with them because I'm so scared of it. Yeah. And I know that Tomcats West used to. I think they closed. They, yeah, they closed a few years back. And they did. And it wasn't. I've certainly played a few of these shows. Curtain Club used to do it, too, back in the day. Of course, not every night or even every weekend. Um, but it maybe would be once a month. Exactly what you're talking about. Certain, certain production company, blah, 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 setting up a show. And you got to sell tickets for it. Uh, Rail has certainly been guilty about that, too. And it's just a different vibe of show. Like, it's not a, it's not the. And I, Nobody's there to relax. Yeah, it's not about that. It's about a popularity contest. It's literally it just across. flexing yeah. how many people you can bring out. Exactly. Uh, and it becomes a class thing or a money thing, right? The band who has the more funds to promote or perhaps even pay people part of the tickets, cover the tickets or whatever, right? Well, that's exactly what no. the whole process does is incentivizes bands to buy their own tickets yep. and then hopefully they can sell them to people. Yep. Um, and not all the bands have the proceeds or have the funds yeah, they don't to have do the, that. They don't have the liquid yeah. assets to of make course. that happen. Of course. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I, I want to get into the whole political stuff and like capitalism and art. Like we can totally talk about that. I didn't, I feel like we're, we're naturally getting into it. So we can Everything by all means like, is talk for sale. <laughs> like Make what? me an offer. So to use the Ridgely Room as an example, like or the, or the Ridgely Complex, whatever you want to call it. Um, like what role in the community, you know, should they play? Have they played right uh, up before, you know, before kind of. I don't even know how to put it, like becoming what they have become now, where it is like literally just about, you know, the, the ticket sales and that sort of thing. Like, what's the point of, of a, what's the benefit of having a, a place like that for the community? Well, I would, I would probably chalk it up to having like a living culture because there's a lot of pavement on Camp Bowie. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a lot of competition. Right. There's 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 plenty of places for people to spend their time and money um, enjoying the finer things in life, which could be food. It could be art, it could be music, whatever. Um, but but at the food. end of the day, you go to the restaurant, the food's already bought and paid for by the company. They are selling you the sizzle. Mm -hmm. um, this is not what's happening at Ridgely. Um, Though I must give them credit where it's due, uh, because I went to go raise a sign in protest of these practices uh, at the 2022 Fort Worth Weekly Music Awards at the Ridgely. Yeah. Shout out to the Fort Worth Weekly. I have no problem with what you guys are doing. You're amazing. Yeah. Keep doing your thing. But you could have been at Lola's, maybe, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They took it personally. I didn't mean for them to do. The, the owners of the Ridgely actually came out and talked to me and they they heard me out and I don't know. They were just like, yeah, clearly you don't know anything about running a business. <laughs> wow. It's true. I'm not going to besmirch that point, but, you know, you're going to reap what you sow. And if uh, if you're in an age where the easiest person to get to your show is another musician. Mm hmm. And you're bullying the musicians. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to want to go to your shows. It's going to be like going and, and giving your buddy some lunch money and then watching some big kid just take it from him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it you know, it to me, it behooves a question of like, what, what, 
what's the point of having bands? What's the point of having this local music, this local art, this local culture, right? Um, it's so, to me, it's to like benefit everybody in the community, to enrich our lives, to make us happy. And like the people who enjoy coming to shows, because there's a lot of people in Fort Worth who don't play in bands, but actually do come to shows. And, right. Like, and like it gives them a place to do the thing that they love doing, right? But on the flip side, it gives us musicians a place for us to enjoy doing what we're doing. And when you bring the whole money thing into it, when you bring the whole profitability thing into it, it really kind of kills and fractures, you know, alienates, if you want to use that term, uh, the whole cultural experience. It, 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 beca- it, you know, prevents certain people from coming out and doing it. It makes the bands have to make certain creative decisions uh, about whether or not they can, you know, do X, Y, Z. But then, of course, like, you know, like you said, like the Risley is, they do need the money to stay open. They do need to survive. So it's kind of like, what is the solution for these things? Well, it's like more money for the arts, like, which, yeah, Fort Worth sort of, we have a reputation, right? Of the Bass family giving money to certain specific artists or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But like, that's not the same thing as like actually providing a vibrant, artistic, creative, you know, place, platform, space in the community. Uh, and I think Risley It's is- because it's, that's undesirable for people in power. Yeah, flat out. Yeah. that's gonna that's gonna get people to have ideas, uh, yeah, and that's and, what it comes down to. You're yeah, right. we we are we we need suppression. You know, those are spaces <laughs> for political thought and political freedom. When we don't have this money, this capitalistic sort of motive, which is why you know, and you and I have talked. I don't know how much we want to get into, perhaps future projects, but like the Southside Ballroom, for instance, as a creative space that isn't you know they, they certainly have to still pay rent or whatever but because they're a nonprofit, they have certain you know things that they're covered are you talking about south side preservation hall that's oh did i say ballroom we do this every time okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for correcting me no yeah preservation you're not the only hall. one you're not yeah. the only one uh we're talking fort worth here we're yeah, talking fort yeah, worth yeah. yeah magnolia um so i don't know now we're kind of swerving all over the place but like i think but we're talking about fort worth and our community and like this is to me an important conversation that i don't think a lot of artists are having so i do appreciate you coming on and like kind of saying this stuff you know and talking about these things um i want to get back to you and your creative journey uh for a minute so what what bring when did black market garden start like black market garden finally coalesced into being uh, in 2014, after um, after a few different rotations in the drum throne, um, it was mostly like just a matter of finding the right person who had wanted to commit to it. Nobody hated playing drums for Black Market Garden, but you know everybody's got their own focuses in life. Sure, um, and yeah, that's when we got to having. Justin King on the drums, and he's also still playing with Louis Saturn, who I mentioned earlier. They're both in Cherry Mantis, and Justin rules. He raps. He kills the drums. I don't know if he plays the trombone as much anymore, but he used to play the trombone pretty good. Um, And he's just made of sugar. Love that guy. Hell yeah. So what was that process like? How did y'all, how did, obviously the drummer changes. I've experienced those too. It's kind of a shift when that happens. Was it, what was the... uh, creative like nugget that's yeah y'all started from well it really was just an evolution of cheesel beef okay okay we thought it was a more bookable name okay awesome. <laughs> more so grown up okay awesome uh, and and uh you know outside of that we were writing way way more 
complex music than what we had started out with. Um, this is really where the start of mixed meter songwriting yeah. comes in for the the group. I love it. Like, I love the complex proggy stuff that you guys are doing. What what inspired that? What artist inspired that? Oh, a hundred times out of a hundred, I have to tell you, it was Radiohead. Okay. And it could have it could have been anybody, mm. but it was absolutely Radiohead. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I didn't hear Radiohead until I was in high school. Interesting. I mean, I knew I knew about Creep, but I didn't really think I sure. But I thought that was like, oh sure. If they all their songs are like that, then <laughs> I think that's how they felt too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they absolutely have a very, very special relationship with that one. It's complicated. But um yeah, the the first deep listening I ever got into on Radiohead, I was listening to OK Computer first. Um and it was really like tumultuous part of my youth. This was when my mom was first like diagnosed with cancer. Um, and you know, I was having a hard time staying focused in school. It was just rough, but the, that album is, it deserves all the, the praise it gets. It's absolutely transcendental. Everything that came after it, has a little speck of it. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that it, that that album helped you through that time, like processing a lot of that? It stuff? helped me deal with a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also an incredibly political album, if you didn't already know. Um, but yeah, I, I would say I would say that that one and in rainbows. Those were my two nonstop listening, always on rotation. Oh, yeah. And I, I haven't really even explored much outside of that. I listened yeah. to Moon Shape Pool. I tried Kid A out. I like a couple of the tracks yeah. from there, but um, those are always the ones I go back to. Gotcha. I can tell now that you've said that, like I can identify that in your music, but that wasn't the, the flavor that it's I... It's not obvious. Yeah. But it's there, though. Right. Um, what's another one? What's another big influence besides Radiohead? What's, what's, what's also part of these ingredients that make up? Little Texas rock. Uh, old 97s. Okay. Um, we only have one song that really sounds like them. But, um, you know, they, they're, they were an inspiration to us because they made it from Texas. Yeah. You know? And they, they didn't have to do um, Red Dirt. Or yeah. any any kind of music from a can. All of these songs come from the heart. That was the thing. Was just a focus on si- songwriting. Um, other groups that really need to be mentioned. Hmm, so many. Wilco. All right. Wilco. Indie sort of. Yeah, again. a lot of dad rock. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's. It's out of the time too, right? Like it's that same sort of time time period that you that you were tra- your trajectory through. You know, the late two thousands into the early twenty teens. Sure, I think sure. Wilco was a big influence for a lot of people in that in that time period. So that's I mean that that's reasonable. What's um what does the songwriting process look like for you guys? Is it you writing most of the stuff and being kind of like the band leader, or is it traditionally that is kind of the way it has been? Okay. We're moving away from that. Okay. Um. And yeah, usually 
I'll start just by noodling around on the guitar. I, I don't start with lyrics or melody. Mm. Usually I'll, I'll find some interesting shapes and figure out a rhythm that makes them speak to each other. Okay. Um, and then after that, it's all about sorting out the melody and the phrasing and the intention. So I'll bring that to the group, just what I have, and then maybe give them a little bit of direction on where they can start. Mm. Uh, and from there, it tends to be more collaborative. But I'll, I'll bring in, like, the, essentially a complete skeleton. Gotcha. Ready to go. Do you record your own demos, or is it something you've totally, like, worked out in your head ahead of time and you kind of presented as such? We have only just started recording our own demos. Gotcha. So usually, yeah, usually I'll, I might not even write it down. How much time do you spend on that? Like before you bring something to the band, is it till it's done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's that? What's that span like? I guess shortest to longest. Oh, sometimes I'm really pregnant with them. Uh, you know, <laughs> they they will come when they are ready. Uh, I don't know. Usually, I don't sit down with the intention of writing a song ever. Mm. Um. And if I do, it will probably be kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think creativity doesn't kind of work. At least for me, I know everyone's different. But, I mean, like, kind of what I'll do is I'll write a riff or something. I'll the same. Sit down on the guitar. Very often it's on the guitar first. Come up with a couple of chords, a few chords that go together, and marinate on it for a while. Maybe a bass line will come up or something. Until I'm inspired to actually put it down on in, in a DAW and, like, start layering on top of it. And sometimes it never happens, right? Like sometimes it's never, but sometimes it's, you know, a slow process. But like, have you ever instant, like, like maybe not intended to write a song immediately, but have you ever sat down and started fiddling and then an hour later you have a song or most of a song? Well, yeah, definitely. Sometimes I'll do the Andy Partridge approach to songwriting, uh, which Andy is uh, the guitarist and songwriter from XTC. My beloved, beloved, English country rock band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they don't sound like they're from the country, but um, <laughs> yeah, I gotta, gotta shout them out. Uh, yeah, so his approach is basically if you have a song that you really like, you should try to play it without listening to it. And then if you mess it up, you are now writing a new song. Mmm. Mm. Yes. So, like, lean into the changes or the mistakes or the. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Try to figure out. Where can I take this now? Now that I have started from someplace that is already familiar to me, how can I navigate um, using my own voice? Yeah, is that fun? Do you enjoy that? Oh, a thousand, yeah. a thousand percent. Yeah, that's it's great. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll do the Weird Al bit where I parody every song under the sun. Um, the latest game I've come up with is taking like love songs and or, you know, any maybe you're hurt. It's a hurt song. Swap the words you and me swap first and second person ah. every time. And you <laughs> will always love me, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um. Yeah, just just flip everything any which way, uh, and you know the the more familiar of a place you can start from, that tends to 
make it easier. So how do you take these ideas and then are you taking them and like you're saying, like kind of bidding them around, moving around, seeing which angle works best? Are you using music theory to kind of take it to another level? Let's do this part in 5.8 or let's do extra layers of vocals or guitars underneath or something. Like how are you reaching the level of complexity that something like, 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 like is that the rest of the band bringing that in or how does that work? Uh, It's really not so premeditated. All the time stuff is written. I, I'll okay. bring that in and say, hey, we're going to go to Waltz here. Check it out. This is what yeah. it sounds like. Um, and again, that's this is we're trying to change this because mm -hmm. I, I want to have a little bit of fun playing somebody else's songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're they're itching to get some of their songs on the roster, so why not? Um, but yeah, I, I would say, generally speaking, um, that my approach to how to use these changes is all about. It's a, it's a cinematic approach. Mm. Where am I? What's happening? Why is it happening? And, awesome. and how does it happen? Yeah. So it's like a conscious kind of process and a progression. You're it's like through. you're writing a movie script. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, you know, I guess the, the I don't want to call it a bell curve, I guess, but like the rising action, the, the, the sure, climax. Yeah, yeah. You, you, the get you get yeah, it. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. The story arc. The story arc. That's exactly. And it's all stories, right? Music is, these songs are stories. Maybe we're not telling story raps or whatever, right? But like these music is stories. It's a documentation of what people are experiencing, an expression of that, of their lived experience, uh, the material conditions of their lives, if you will. Sure. Um, so yeah, man, I don't know. I'm obsessed with stories. As you can see, I got like books everywhere. <laughs> um, let's, let's, uh, before I, okay, well, actually, no, I, let me stay on this. Let me stay on this track and, and kind of wrap up the BMG thing. So how many, how many releases do y'all have? Right now we have one record out. We have Fun Songs that we released. That's also the name of the record is Fun Songs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I should have known that. Damn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> what you call it? Uh, 2022. Okay. Wait, 2021? So what's on your, is, is your band camp like, we Old have stuff yeah that's the stuff okay. from high school oh right okay. and and we actually uh don't have the rights to it to the stuff oh wait what happened how'd that happen we make money from it but it's technically property of fort worth isd uh, because of the program because of the Where, wow yeah it's, it's not not even a big deal think of how set up we are yeah. and, and we we recorded a couple of those songs and going ahead and registered them with ASCAP. So, wow. so now we have the rights. And and like that stuff's not up for streaming the same way yeah. Fun Songs is. You can listen to Fun Songs anywhere fine music is enjoyed on the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have to go to Bandcamp for the high school stuff. Gotcha. And you should because yeah. that, money, cool that money supports a, a really awesome program that's going to keep bringing you great music Hopefully for a thousand years. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good idea. Um, I'm, I'm getting my 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 brain gears. I turning. can I can see. Yes, yeah, the, <laughs> that's a really good idea. Uh, so okay, so where did y'all record that? We recorded all of that on campus at Southwest High School. Oh no, I'm sorry. The the uh, fun songs. Oh, fun sorry. songs. Yeah. yeah, fun songs is the one we cut with Ben Napier at Green Audio. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that that's nice. we knew about Ben a little bit. Before I think, it's funny. We I came to know Ben independently of my father, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. But um, I thought he had put two to, two and two together. Uh, and then, yeah. So what? how did your dad know Ben? Dad is a um, saxophone player. Oh, yes. And, and I think Ben needed horns for Sally Majestic or he has Napier's Bones is another band. He's had a few of them over. Yeah, the years, he does. Yeah. He loves the brass and the woodwinds. So check out that podcast if you're interested about Ben Napier. He's got a podcast. Check it out. But that's that's <laughs> yeah. Put it out there to the give, give him yeah. all the love. He deserves yeah. it. He's he's ten out of ten. Like great fellow musician, great dad, and um, yeah, man. All, all around, just a well-adjusted human being. He's great, dude. I love him. So what was? How long was that studio? How many songs is it? I feel it's bad. A, it's a six-song record. Okay, I, I forgive you. I forget sometimes too. Uh, and the process took so long. Yeah. <laughs> so much stuff happened while we were cutting the record. Uh, for example, everybody left the band except for me. <laughs> oh, and man. and I, I had to get really lucky and ask a few <laughs> friends if they could come be Black Market Garden for the rest of my life. And we have a whole new Black Market Garden. Wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's when... Um, I think Lewis and Justin, well, Lewis was in school, but uh, what you call it, they just weren't going to have enough time to be in Black gotcha. Market Garden and do Cherry Mantis and all the other stuff. Because Lewis is also an orchestra musician. He plays tuba with, like, um, I think I've seen him with the Mansfield Symphony Orchestra wow. or a few others. Uh, regardless, that happened, and I was kind of left. Uh, adrift with these songs that were in pre-production we hadn't even gotten to cutting the actual mm. meat of the tracks um i guess that's a i mean if you're gonna have to pick a stopping point i guess that's that, at least that's one where you can kind of easily transition to the next one without losing some continuity or something like that sure sure yeah but it believe me when i say it took years it took absolute years and um we were so happy when we got to release <laughs> I it. I am too. I mean, some bands don't make it through the other side during that stuff. I've definitely been a part of studio projects that lasted years. And, and you know, sometimes bands don't <laughs> don't come out with a product at the end of it. Yeah, I mean. It's a lot of time and money wasted. So I'm glad to hear that, that you know, you made out the other side and now you've got a new new group of people. Uh, to That's right. Yeah, a group of hired guns that, you... that get paid nothing. Oh, man. <laughs> we, all, we all put our money into the, you, you know, the war chest. But uh, yeah, let me give a, a shout out to the saviors of rock and roll for me. Uh, our new, or not new, we, we shouldn't say new. They've been around for years now. Alexis Randolph on the drums. The busiest drummer in the Metroplex. She's phenomenal. She's in every band. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the good drummers always are, right? They're good drummers are really hard to come by, and yeah. she's phenomenal. Yeah, you shoot two of them, and you kill half the band. <laughs> That's how I'm saying. Um Yep. And then my my wonderful esteemed roommate and fellow guitarist Dylan Mosley um was also in school with me at Southwest. So he oh, cool. he'd been kind of involved with the band at some level. Sometimes he would play bass. Oh, interesting. And I think we did do a couple shows together. Uh but he was nice enough to come back again. He's oh, yeah. he's one of those guys you can work with and then say, "Hey, we need to let you go." And then he'll want to work with you again later <laughs> and live with you and be your best friend. <laughs> That's a good friend. I love him very that much. That's a good friend right there. Uh, Adrian Lewis plays the bass, and he was not a bass player before he started. Um, 
What did he start on? He's a drummer. Oh, I would I would Drummers say I would say he's players. a natural drummer, but he also has a very good foundation just for playing guitar. Um, so I was like, yeah, you need to be married in the rhythm section, yeah, and y'all are gonna have a great time because you both have a good um, foundation to communicate rhythmically, yeah, and and make the bed. Communication is a big thing, and like drummers and bass players, a lot of times have their have their own language because. That's that's where it's at, right? The, the drummer and a bass player being able to communicate, be on the same page, and like know what the know what each other's going to do right before they do it, right? Right. Like that yeah. makes a band tight. Yeah, yeah. The 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 less you can think, you know, if they'll both have their eyes closed. There's no way you have to smell it, you yeah. know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And that that was the lineup that we went into Green Audio with to finish up fun songs. Uh, and, and after that, we picked up another member named Oliver Martinez. Yeah. Um, who had to move to Vermont. <laughs> Shout out, Ollie. Yeah, we love you, Ollie. Um, I'm going to come see you soon. I hear, I hear it's nice up there, but really cold at Ollie this time. reached out to be on this podcast, so um, we, we could not find a good time to get together. So I'm going to... He keeps the vampire yeah. hours. Yeah. He's, he's a hotel <laughs> night auditor. <laughs> uh, so I'm saying this for accountability. I'd love to, to, to talk to you as well. Uh, and so we'll, we'll figure something out. Kisses. Um, <laughs> well, awesome, man. So, okay. So I got another topic. Let me, one more thing. Are y'all getting together, playing any shows anytime soon? We are, yes. Future? We are We are going to play Lola's with our buddies in the Chems from Weatherford. Uh, and that's going to be Friday, February 17th. Hell yeah. Friday, February 17th. I'm going to write that down so I can put that at the beginning and at the end of the podcast. Um, and I'll do my best to be there. I don't think I've got anything going on. It's be very sweet. We'd yeah, love to see you. I'd love you to know see it. you too. It's been a hot minute. I haven't had a chance to go to Lola's yet either. I know they've been open fucking probably almost six months now or something. But like, It's a cool spot. Yeah. Yeah, They've man. got food. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. They do. Okay. It's good. We're it's good. Damn fine food at Lola's now. That's pretty much been the thing where it's like I want to go there, but I need to get food and you know. Okay. Yeah. Now you can. Be now you can get trips. it all in okay. one stop. Okay. Well, that's fantastic news, actually. Um. Okay. So random thing. I'm just want to pick your brain about this. Um. Top topical. What, what's, what's the word I'm trying to say? Current events topic. I guess. Uh -huh. Um. AI art or AI music. What's yeah. Your what, what's your take? Um, well, there's no stopping it. It is uh, definitely going to complicate. <laughs> <laughs> definitely going to complicate everything, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, when the calculator was invented, they didn't eliminate math class right. they just had to change the way that we thought about it and taught it so in in some respects i am really hopeful that these things can be like they can be used as tools to to help you push your creative boundaries um what i fear is that uh that this is going to steal people's souls <laughs> and, and yeah. like a really uh literal sense like what ex explain that like what do you mean by that do you know are you familiar i guess with how there are some groups of people 
don't want to be photographed mm-hmm. because they, they think or they believe that it's going to capture their soul. Or mm-hmm. maybe maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe I'm being insensitive. No, but that's, I mean, whether that's actually true or not, that's something that I have certainly heard that's a story that's been perpetuated. There's tribes, indigenous tribes in whatever parts of the world, Africa, perhaps, uh, you know, Australia. Yeah, they don't want their photos to be taken because they're still, I've, I've totally heard that. Right. Um, and I get that because now there's this image of you that you have no agency over. And, you know, what if you are... What if you're up on the the billboard? You wrote a great song. You're finally up on the billboard top 100. And, you know, somebody doesn't like it. Somebody else on the charts really is not a fan of of what you've made. So they'll just uh, train an AI to, to speak like you, to sound like you, to use the same mannerisms as you would. And, uh, I don't know, do a really disrespectful puppet show Mm -hmm. where, again, your image is being used completely without any agency. um, And it becomes, uh, I don't know, it's it's worse than having just your likeness used because people will believe it's you. Yeah. Uh, And then... So is this like like deep fake type stuff where it's like people are being led to believe or mis misled? Right. About, yeah. About misinformation. Uh, I don't know. Just just um, debasing mm. public figures. Mm. Anybody who. So what about like for artists or musicians in general? Like, do you think it's? I mean, it's probably going to be a little bit of both, but like tools that we can use to create music better. Uh, make our jobs easier or is it going to like wipe us off you know make make us not be able to make money from our art somebody has to pick up the check right Mm. that is the thing is it going to be the artist using the uh, is it going to be the artist using the AI engine is it going to be the developers who are hosting the engine is it going to be the digital entity itself, uh, this is certainly like a little bit uncharted. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the thing about it is it's really the Wild West. Yeah. That we don't have any sort of protection. Yeah. Um, so that being said, I don't believe that AI is going to take over the charts directly uh, in, in like any meaningful credited way. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I, I just feel like um, you, can, you can generate all the sounds you want, but uh, what, was, what will make the art meaningful is having something to say about your lived experience, mm, which, mm. um, and an AI would be just like a pastiche of like, you know, in, it could, yeah. I know. mean, it could get you close, right? Like, again, th- this is where I'm saying it could be a really good tool for people who are trying to learn how to write songs. Mm. It's like, Oh, I want to, I want to write a song that sounds like this record. 
Yeah. Okay, I'll feed the machine this record, and then it'll give me something that sounds kind of like that, and maybe, maybe I can work something out of it, which is new and refreshing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm concerned because I feel like it's going to send... It, it has the potential to send music and art down the same uh, path as American Hollywood cinema, mm. which is hmm. remake, remake, sequel, sequel, remake. Yeah. Um, so this, n- this nostalgic like recreation regurgitation of what yeah. they think people want of the, about the past. Sure, yeah. It's like it's like Greta Van Fleet but without the trouble of teaching those kids how to play instruments. You know, wow. you could just make another Led Zeppelin album. Yeah. You know, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Led Zeppelin rips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that yeah. Yeah. No, I, I it's it's just something I'm trying to figure out myself, you know, and I kind of explore like what does this future actually look like? I think it's important not to like I want to be right, you know, oh, I was right all along. Who cares if you were right? But it's just it's interesting to kind of get our minds ready to get, you know, maybe society ready for like what could be to come. Right. Uh, I I do think it's going to lead us to appreciate and enjoy music in new and interesting ways. Um I guess uh, it, it, there, there's a there's a comparison to be made here, which is kind of relevant in gaming. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. Oh yeah, yeah. They are in the hot water right now for their. Uh, somebody leaked their new open gaming license, oh. but it's problematic to say the least. People homebrew content for D and D, and and that's like huge for them. That's a, a huge people, part of the community. Yeah. yeah, I mean the creativity is what gets people uh, engaged. Yeah. Um, but they want to make people get their homebrew stuff licensed, so that way, the I yeah, I heard this. Yeah, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. So that way, the company can make money off of any assets they sell. Uh, that's ridiculous. It is preposterous, and at the same time, content creators, people who will do like a Dungeons yeah. and Dragons podcast or whatever, yeah, or stream or whatever, yeah. They will have to give the company a cut as well. They're going to have to get licensed too. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. um, Now compare that to Minecraft or Rocket League or Fortnite. They're like, yeah, stream it, please. Put it on your YouTube, please. The community. We want people to see it and get interested, and and gives it makes our stuff accessible for people who maybe want to enjoy the game without playing it. Yeah. So you want to enjoy. The feeling of a mu- being a musician mm-hmm. without actually having to do any of the sweaty, grimy shit. Yeah, I think that's cool because it might it might actually lead people to do the hard work. because yeah. it feels great. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's the, the the process of that creation is like what's enjoyable for people who are doing it. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's like if you're if everybody has to license it, that's a level of like exclusivity where you're like cutting out people who otherwise right. would be appreciating and sharing that stuff but now all you have to do is i mean what it reminds me of is like those older artists the boomer artists who have sold off their catalog to some publishing company versus those who have kind of like let you know they're they're not making copyright strikes they're letting whatever happen so Mm -hmm. like that stevie nicks i don't know a year ago i saw about a year ago rick biotto video about how one of stevie nicks's song or i don't remember if it was a fleetwood mac song like was number one on tiktok 
because of some video that where they used this Fleet, you know, Fleetwood Mac song for like one minute of like roller skates, roller skating. Or whatever. Was it the guy with the cranberry juice? Yeah. 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 And so like that wouldn't have been possible if Stevie Nicks was like copyright striking everybody for using her song or whatever. Right. But she was one of the few artists who's like, I don't care. Use it. Whatever. And because of that, like, oh, Stevie Nicks is able to be on the charts again, like 40 years after the fact of, of, of their prime or whatever. Right. And so it's like for all those other artists who are like, don't use my stuff or, or pay me money to use my stuff, mm -hmm. um, they're going to fall off by the wayside. The newer generations are not going to know anything about those people. So people are going to newer generations are going to be restricted or limited to the Dungeons and Dragons thing, which has been super successful and like more and more so over the past since the 80s. Like that's just every year gets bigger. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. I did not know that. Is I. I, I play Magic the Gathering, not nearly as much as I used to, but I played pretty heavily for about seven or eight years until maybe a year or two ago. And from what I understand, like Wizards of the Coast has a new CEO or something who is just kind of running the place. Yeah, yeah, it's so, not a good look, and I really hope things do get better in regards to that situation. Uh, but, you know, I'm not uh, holding my breath. Yeah. They've done stuff like this before. Yeah, so capitalism. So let's get, so I wanted to talk to you about capitalism i wanted to talk to you about socialism uh i wanted to ask you some questions if you don't mind uh, if you do by all means you don't have to answer any of this um but like what 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 radicalized you what was your political awakening you think i'm radical <laughs> i don't know you tell me how do you define that word i guess that's another good question to ask i don't know i think a radical hmm you become a radical once you are able to justify the destruction of property. Mm, okay, that's a or or that's uh, definition. You know, uh, injuring people is a level above that. Okay, right? Yeah. So, so I agree. People over property. That's sure. Not, not the sure. other way around. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, or unfortunate that we even have to clarify that. Uh, yes, that that <laughs> itself. There's the capitalist realism, the fact that we were even having to frame it that way. But right, yeah. To to be a radical, um, I think it it does mean that you are not only dissatisfied with the current state of affairs, because that's almost everybody. That's pretty agreeable. But you are willing to. Um, stick your neck out and and try to change things a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, shake your tiny fist, do whatever you can. Um, whether that just means voting or um, maybe block walking. Yeah. Um, but I would say... The things that radicalized me the most. Hmm. May have just been in my own family. Um, I had a really beautiful childhood. Not all of the children in my family got so lucky. Mm. I had some cousins who I still have cousins They're still around. Um, they had a real tough time coming up and it wasn't their fault. It wasn't their parents' fault. I mean, their parents had problems, but they probably 
could have been solved really easy if we had some basic social care. Yeah. Um, and if, if, you know, poverty weren't such a death sentence. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it just it just, you know, that that was immediate to me that that wasn't fair and it would have been so easy to make their lives a little better um just by having a real community. Yeah. Um and that's not how our system in this country or in this state or even in the city. No, not at all. Set up. Not at all. It, it, I mean, they threaten you with you know, CPS, if you can't keep your lights on. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, insult to injury. Yeah. And it's authoritarian to a certain extent. The state comes yeah. to take your kids if you can't pick yourself up by your bootstraps, which literally doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. People, people forget that that was meant to be an impossible thing to do. Yeah. Like that's, where... yeah, that's, the, it's a inaccurate saying. Like right. it doesn't even make any sense. Bootstraps or shoelaces, by the way, if you don't know, can you pick yourself up by your shoelaces listener? Is that possible? Um, no. Not even in space. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no. Yeah. No. Um, man, I'm, yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm, no, it's okay. Too, too uh, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out the best ways to talk about these sorts of things without sure. Shame in anyone. Sure. Because we love we love all of our family and everybody's family. And I think you've you've made it clear that like that that's a I mean, that's you can't get much per, more personal than family, right? And so and like you're, you know, watching family go through things or yourself going through things like that. That is, I think, the probably number one radicalizer. But then what do you do with it, right? Like what how do you organize? What inspired you to join the IWW? Oh, am I is there, am I outing you? I'm is outed like, as oh, an, no. a wobbly. <laughs> I can edit it if you want. Like I totally can't. If no, 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 no. I am a uh, a proud dues-paying member of the Industrial Workers of the World. It is a labor union um founded in 1906 in Chicago, I think. Um yep. and the IWW is special for a lot of reasons, but let's talk about why I joined. Um, mostly just because, um, I don't know, I didn't start working until I graduated high school and I had to do a little bit of couch surfing and figuring things out. And when you are that vulnerable, um, people are going to take advantage of you and they are going to keep you right where they like you as long as they can. I wish I had learned about the IWW so much sooner. Um, I'm never going to work without a red card again. You can bet on that. Um, did they teach you things? Did they teach you about organizing? Or did you meet people, a part of the organization, who who kind of opened your eyes in certain ways? Or how has, how has it benefited you or affected you? Well, um, that yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it took a little bit of time working through the email chain to find people who were in my area at first um, because Texas is a notoriously business-friendly state mm -hmm. and, you know, business-friendly business means labor-unfriendly. Yes. Um, so I, I, I joined in, started paying dues, 
sent emails to general membership bureau and they pointed me to a group of people who were working to start the North Texas chapter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we all got connected online and, um, there are tons of resources available for dues paying members. They do organizer training courses every couple months and, they don't cost a dime outside of the regular monthly dues you're already paying, gotcha. which are that's fantastic. I, I mean, I don't want to say dirt cheap because you know maybe you don't make a lot of money, but they're also on a adjusted sliding scale. So if you really, if you're living on social security, you can still join the IWW and you know um, participate in this organization. It's just uh going to cost you maybe $5. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's compared to a lot of places that have much higher dues than that. Five bucks is fantastic. I mean, and I use the word radical because like it started off at least as a radical organization, you know, like it. Right. Um, we can get into the part wobblies. of that. Yeah. And what, what, sorry, go ahead. If you, if you... Yeah, I, w- I would love to. Yeah. The part of what makes the IWW different from other um, federally recognized unions, which the IWW is a federally recognized union, but, um, they let me say this clearly the IWW does not try to get wins in the courtroom the way um a legal union might mm. and i say legal just because it's like dealing with law you hire lawyers that's how you s- settle your negotiations is mm. is by you know and that's why the dues tend to be much higher at other legally recognized unions. The IWW is more about getting everybody in the building organized, agitated, educated, and um, in solidarity. Yeah. So that way, um, they can they can be directly they can be advocates for each other uh, in the workplace. That sort of stuff tends to get results a lot quicker than litigation just Mm. because litigation takes months and months and could drag on for years, depending on what kind of contract you're trying to get. And then with direct action, you might not even need to negotiate a contract. You may not even need to file for a union election. You can just do something. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. Like, for if, if to the listener, if you're unaware, like this is something that I've been teaching my students about when we get to the progressive era in 1906, Eugene Debs, Mother Jones uh, and others co-founded the IWW. And it was to, to be one giant union for everybody, for all workers. And we still see this today, but especially back then, there were a lot of smaller craft and trade unions that were specified to certain sectors of the economy, certain industries. Right. And this is not that. It's right? not anybody. Uh, can join the IWW. And this was radical at the time because you could join if you're a woman. You could join if you are a black person, yep. a uh, Hispanic person. Perhaps you're Asian or mm-hmm. from any part of the world. You can do this. You can be, if you're blind, yeah. deaf, dumb, uh, disabled, everything. Um, All inclusive. 
There are a couple exceptions. Oh, yeah, fascists. No, you can't be, <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't be a fascist or a business owner, right? You can't be a capitalist. Well, or yeah, that, well, okay. you can't be a boss and yeah. join the union. That yeah. makes no sense. Uh, you can't be a landlord and join the union. That's the other one, yeah. Because you might evict people who are striking. Yeah. Uh, and no cops it's, because, yeah, because you, you would cross a picket line. Yep. Hundred percent, and all of the reason why that might you might say, oh, why those? But like that is, it's the opposite. We have class warfare going on. I want to be one very more. clear about this. There's Still one fun. more group of people. No, uh, you you are allowed to have two union cards in the IWW. You can join IWW and a legal union. Mm. But if you get elected to an office in that other organization, you must resign your red card. Gotcha. Uh, same goes with public office. If you mm -hmm. become mm -hmm. governor of Texas. You don't need a red card. Yeah. Yeah. And and you can't have one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a power dynamic thing. It's it's within the interest because you're essentially on the other side of that. You you've crossed into the the next the next class. Um and like good, we need people, we need socialists or people who are radicals believing whatever ideas, anarchists, if that's your thing, um, in positions of power like that. That we we that should be the goal. But we don't want people like that in an organization like that. Like, you know, right. Yeah. Not at that time. Yeah. They can always come back. Yeah. You know, when they're done power tripping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. So, so, um, what, like, how, I, tell me if this is too boring or too nuts and bolts or something, but like last, when I was hanging out with you a while back, we were talking with our buddy Colin and he had just had questions about just union stuff. And you were just kind of explaining. I was wondering if you would kind of just briefly explain, like, what is the pro what is the negotiation process or the activism process look like, like when the rubber hits the road, like at work, like if you are you. I imagine you're the only IWW at your job. Yeah, wherever I work, I don't yeah. know where that is. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, it it is not going to happen overnight. Even if you work with like a really small team of people, you need to. Um, you need to build first off a committee of people who can help you um, because if you try to do it all on your own it'll go even slower and you'll never get there <laughs> we need solidarity we need right. each other yeah uh, so, so you have to be good at identifying leaders in the workplace um, and the other most important thing getting started is you have to get good at one-on-ones with people um which is really really tricky because like if i go up to any little girl at my job and say hey can you meet me in the back for like 15 minutes <laughs> yeah you see it sounds <laughs> yeah. it sounds weird yeah. or even if i say that to a, a dude you know anybody yeah. yeah um yeah no you're right um but you have to kind of figure out a way to overcome that and, and to do it in a way where you're not jeopardizing your own job yeah. or, you know, your coworkers, obviously. Um, and then once you clear that initial hurt hurdle, it could be even harder to have an effective one-on-one -on -one and to know the 80, or not even to know, to put into practice the 80-20 rule of agitation which is to spend 88 percent of the time you want to listen to what your uh, fellow worker has to say and then 20 percent of the time you might want to ask a question building off of that um but yeah it's really the thing is if you're the only person at your job with the red card you're probably the most fired up about it obviously um 
you can't sell it to people. You have mm. to. They got to come around. On their yeah, own. they they have to come around on their own to thinking it's a good idea. Um, and that takes time because it t- takes time to build trust in any relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now you know the the product uh, of the twenty twenties so far, people are 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 coming around. You know, we, the last year, past year and a half, we've had the great, you know, resignation. We've had a bunch of people just not putting up with certain working conditions anymore. Quiet quitting. Yeah, quiet quitting also, which is great. We need more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, you've got Starbucks unionizing. You've got Amazon, Kel- Ke- Amazon Kellogg's. Uh, what's what's the, uh, Frito-Lay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, this week, you look over at France. And they have been, they're in the streets in the millions because of Macron trying to up the working age, the retirement age from 62 to 64. Yeah, they have a history with this sort yes. of thing. It's, they're very, very effective. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> French thing to do is just to walk out and go on a general strike. Like that's not, that's, that's common to them and culturally so. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that's just something that we do not have here in America, but like, but we could. <laughs> right. Because we, could, because we have no community yeah. and the threat yes. of starvation is yes. too real. And I and it's important to know. We, we we might say, oh, we don't have that history. We do have that history. We're just 100%. not taught that history. Yeah. We very much so have that history. Um, and so that's you know that's kind of I, that's why I pre- thank you for talking about this because again, like this as sad as it is here a hundred years down the road, it's still not cool to talk about this stuff a lot of times. It's not you know it could be endangering ourselves. I don't think we're actually doing that. But you know what I'm saying? Like this is still you know stuff that people are. You know, restricted or prevented from saying. We can't, I know we can't, I'm on know? some lists. Yeah, you know, oh, people, I'm sure I am too. <laughs> yeah, people, people <laughs> absolutely. Power, and, power does not yeah. like it. You and know, this is the surveillance state. We could go, I and mean, that's a whole other conversation. Surveillance capitalism and blah blah blah. And we're we're not going to spend all our time talking about that. I'll bring it back to art. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you though for taking me down that road. No, I'm all too happy to talk about my life's work. <laughs> yeah, that's what. It, and so that's what it is. Like, do, I, tell me if you agree with this. I th- I think life is. Art and art is life. Like our choices that we make as we go through the world, what we choose to say, this is important, this is not important, this is what I'm going to do, this is not what I'm going to do. Those are creative choices. Those are artistic choices. And so, like, we change the world by changing ourselves, but uh, we have to live that, live that and experience that change. How has these ideas or these things like influenced your art slash life? The only reason. Anybody gets out of bed to do anything ever is to make love and to seek out the loneliness that is in the world and shatter it, whether it's within themselves or somewhere more distant. Um, and it is so hard to do that when... When you don't trust people, people become untrustworthy. And that perception kind of becomes reality, right? We kind right, of, yeah. We it's, feed it's a, into that. It's a, ver- a vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, so you, so your, 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 uh, your art is love, I guess. Is what, are you saying that? That's all it can be. Yeah. Um, I may... I may you know, use, use different emotional contexts. There is anger and hurt and sorrow and loneliness in my music, but the music can only exist in a 
compassionate and happy together sense if yeah. it, if it's able to explore that duality. Yeah. You can't have faith without doubt. You know, they they yeah. don't exist in a vacuum separate from each other. They are the same thing. Yeah. And so you're being, I mean, to me, what I'm hearing is you're being authentic. Like you're being. I really, yeah, I really try to, whenever it's a, if it's a live performance or if we're cutting a record, the least important thing for me is to be perfect. And 100% of the time I am trying to get out of my own way and let go of my intentions to let something bigger take place. Hmm. That's beautiful. Let go of your intentions. And that kind of goes back to a little bit. If maybe I'm misspeaking before we were talking Taoism, yeah, yeah, yeah. Taoism a little bit. I've right? been doing a lot of meditation on the Tao. It's true. But the um, the more you seek to understand, the less you do. Um, mm. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. Well, let's leave it there. I think that's a beautiful place to stop. Um, I want to say thank you for, for taking the time to come in here to kind of share yourself, open up the way that you have. You've been very, very gracious in giving with, with yourself, but also with your time. So thank you very much, Jack. You're a sweet man, too. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> thank you for the coffee. Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking forward to, to doing some great things with you in the future. Likewise, my friend. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening and making it all the way to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, I want to remind you, check out Black Market Garden uh, on February 17th at Lola's in Fort Worth, Texas. Here is Fly on the Wall by Black Market Garden. <laughs> <laughs>